That's where we are this morning. Our passage uh, today begins at verse 21. Colossians 1, 21, we read through uh, chapter 2 and verse 3 today. I'll be reading from the New King James uh, Version. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be on the screen. But also, if you do not have a Bible, uh, would you please let us know that? Because we don't want anyone to leave here without your own Bible. See me, see one uh, of our staff members. We will get you a Bible. We will gladly gift you a Bible uh, that you can have, take home, read, study, uh, and enjoy. Uh, and you'll be blessed for it. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 21. This is what the Bible says. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but now has been revealed to his saints to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor striving according to his working, which works in me mighty, mightily. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Title of the message this morning is Christ in You, the Hope of Glory. Christ in You, the Hope of Glory. And if you'd like to track along with the message, as we often do when, I, when I'm preaching, these are not uh, outline main points, but there's things you can listen for. A mystery... A great hymn, worship, agony, a summary, and nothing more important. A mystery, a great hymn, worship, agony, a summary, and nothing 
more important. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a privilege. What a privilege it is to stand before your people, to preach the word. And what a joy to gather together as a family of believers here at Grace. God bless our time. Speak to our hearts, please. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will fall fresh on us. Give us clarity of thought. Give us understanding. Oh, God, thank you for your grace. And thank you for this book. Thank you, too, for... Uh, Jessica Maples, I pray a special blessing on her today. Thank you so much uh, for her work with our ladies. Please bless her in a special way today. And we commit her to you, Lord, as she uh, goes to St. Luke's to serve you in a similar way. Bless her ministry there. Uh, thank you for uh, those she's invested in on her leadership team who are taking the reins now. We look forward to good things. Again, Lord, bless our time, our desires that you be glorified in all that happens here today. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our passage today is 12 <coughs> verses long. Uh, we'll get to all 12, Lord willing. Lord willing. Uh, but I'm going to do something a little different than I would normally do. Usually, I would start right at the first verse in our passage, which is verse 21. And I'd go verse by verse, line by line, phrase by phrase. That's uh, generally my uh, preaching style. Uh, just starting at the top and going to the bottom. But today, I'm going to start right in the middle. Uh, dead in the middle of this passage are verses 26 and 27. Uh, they are the theme of the passage. Um, this is what the Bible says there, Colossians 1, uh, verses 26 and 27. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations. I love mysteries. I love mysteries. I love a good whodunit. All right? I love uh, uh, reading a book uh, that is a mystery. They're the books I choose to read. Uh, they're the shows I most often watch and enjoy. A good, solid mystery. As a matter of fact, most of you know that I lived the life 
of solving mysteries. Many years ago, 25 years ago, as a detective uh, at the sheriff's office back home in Maryland, uh, I loved uh, sifting through evidence. I loved interviewing witnesses. I loved interrogating suspects. I loved putting all of this together and determining what actually happened. That was fun to me. I was energized by it, as I am with this right here. I was energized by that. But in this context, in the context of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26, a mystery is information or uh, a truth that has been hidden for a time. Paul says here it's been hidden from ages and from generations. It's a truth that's been hidden but has now been revealed to uh, the New Testament church. A mystery is not something that conflicts with any of the teachings of the Old Testament. It's just something that wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It was hidden but has now been revealed to his saints, the Bible says. Those who are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Those who make up the church today. This mystery has been revealed to them and to us, grace, and to us. Verse 27 says, To them God willed to make known. God willed. It was God's will to reveal to the saints what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. So what is the mystery here? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. <coughs> Pardon me. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians. This is from uh, Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 3. By revelation he made known to me the mystery. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 5, which says this. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. The Old Testament prophesied the coming of the Messiah. And it prophesied that uh, uh, Gentiles would partake of the salvation of the Lord. That was going to happen. But it said nothing about the church. And it said nothing about Gentiles being fellow heirs or at an equal level with the Jews. And it said nothing about the Messiah taking up residence in anyone. And that is the hidden truth here in Colossians chapter 1. That's the mystery that Jesus Christ lives in everyone who has placed their faith in him as Savior and Lord, whether Jew or Gentile. So if you're saved, the Spirit of Jesus Christ resides in you. 
Listen to what Paul wrote under the Holy Spirit inspiration to the church at Rome. This is in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation here. This is what the Bible says. Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Christ lives within you. Here's another one from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Again, from the New Living Translation. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. It was God's will to make known or to reveal the truth of this mystery here. Christ is in you. And notice how the mystery is described. The riches of the glory of this mystery. So if Christ resides, amen, amen, thank you. I love that. That's worship there. You'll know what I mean in a second. <laughs> oh. Now where was I? <laughs> if Christ resides in you, and if you are a Christian, he does, then you are rich. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus talked in a parable about a treasure in a field. And he talked about a pearl of great price. Jesus is that treasure in the field. Jesus is that pearl of great price. If you give up everything for Jesus... And he's all you have. You still have more than the wealthiest person in the world who has rejected him. He is that treasure. He is that pearl. Notice how Paul describes Jesus as the hope of glory. The hope of glory. The word hope means favorable and confident expectation. Favorable and confident expectation. It's not a wish. It's something you can count on. You can count on Jesus. These words should sound familiar to you because we just sang them this morning, Seth. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We just sang uh, this song, Cornerstone, in our worship set. But for those of you who grew up in a Baptist church and sang this particular hymn once a month at least, what great hymn are these words from? The Solid Rock. On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground 
is sinking sand. If you have Christ, then you have hope. And you will experience the riches of his glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the title of our message this morning. It's the theme of our passage. Everything in the text this morning centers on this truth. He is our hope. So let's go back and start now at verse uh, 21. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. This is what the Bible says there. The first two verses, 21 and 22, say this. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works... Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. And you, who were once alienated, the word alienated means separated or estranged. And you, who were once separated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works. The word enemies literally means hateful. That's the literal translation of the Greek word there. You once were hateful in your minds toward God, Paul writes. You once chose wicked works. You chose sin over the Lord and his holy standard. Yet now God is reconciled. To reconcile means to change. Here in this context, it means to change a relationship, specifically man's relationship to the creator of the universe. From one who is hateful toward God. One who was an enemy of God. One who was once separated from God to one who is now a child of God. One who is now a friend of God. One who has now peace with God. Yet now God has reconciled. So do you hear that? You hear what Paul writes. Yet now God has reconciled. This is all God's doing. We were the ones who were hateful. We were the ones who were caught up in our sin and our wicked works. And yet God has reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And through his death, God is reconciling sinners to himself even today. This is how reconciliation happens. Through Jesus' death on the cross. But notice how Paul words this here. Notice how Paul writes it. In the body of his flesh... Through death. This is important. Because false teachers in Paul's day were claiming that Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh. 
because all flesh is evil. Nothing good can come from the flesh. That's what they were teaching. Therefore, the Son of God could not have come as a man. He must have been a spiritual being. So in verse 22, Paul emphasizes Christ as fully man. Yes, he was fully God. But he was also fully man in the flesh. Consider the prepositional phrases here. At the start of verse 22, in the body. Paul wants to make sure you know Christ had a physical body. Of his flesh. Paul wants to be sure you know he came in the flesh. Through death. Paul wants to make sure you know he died a real death. To deny Jesus' incarnation, that he was a real man, is to deny the truth of the gospel. The Bible says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22 A spirit being cannot bleed. Paul emphasizes Jesus coming in the flesh and his physical death here in chapter 1, verse 22. It's through the death of Jesus and the blood that he shed on the cross that we are reconciled to God by grace through faith. Praise the Lord. So what's the result of our being reconciled? Let's go back to the end of verse 22. The Bible says at the end of verse 22, so that we can be presented holy, that is, separated from sin, made righteous before God, so that we can be presented holy, so that we can be presented blameless or without blemish, so that we could be presented above reproach in his sight. That means no one can bring a charge against us. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> it is to me. We were the ones who were hateful. We were the enemies of God. We did the alienating. But God did the reconciling by sending his son to die on the cross for us. Jesus died so that you and I could be presented holy, blameless, and without reproach. Does that look one-sided? God is doing all of the work for our benefit. How do we not then, as believers, worship him continually with our lips and with our lives? How do we not? So who are we being presented to? In chapter 5 of his letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote... Uh, that husbands were to love their wives like Christ loved the church. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25. And then in verse 26, he writes this. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. You know, one of these days I would love to preach this passage in the context of marriage, but that's not the purpose here, so I'm not going to go there. 
My purpose today is to show that Jesus will one day present the church to himself without any spot, without any wrinkle. There will be a day when we're presented to Jesus Christ himself as holy and without blemish. That can only happen by his grace as he continually sanctifies and cleanses us. Colossians 1.23 says this. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. If indeed you continue in the faith, that word continue has the idea of continuing long, of remaining long, in the faith. Vine's Dictionary of New Testament Words defines it as still to abide. Real faith is an abiding faith. It is a persevering faith. A faith that perseveres is proof of God's reconciling work in the hearts and lives of believers if indeed you remain grounded like a building on a solid foundation, strong, firm, no cracks. If indeed you remain steadfast, most, most uh, translations go with that word steadfast. But uh, the King James uses the word settled. Uh, another uh, translation uses the word stable. Literally, the word there in the Greek is seated. Grounded and seated. If indeed you don't move away from the hope of the gospel. And the hope of the gospel is the hope of glory, Jesus Christ. Don't move away from Jesus. He's the ground upon which our hope is based. He is the object of which our hope is fixed. Without him, we have no hope. Colossians 1, 24 and 25 say this. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So what were Paul's sufferings? So as he writes these words here in verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Uh, what sufferings is he talking about? Well, he's writing from prison. Paul is writing from jail. He is suffering for the Lord in jail right now. And yet he's still able to rejoice. But Paul wrote about other sufferings in his second letter to the Corinthians. He wrote about being flogged. He wrote about being exposed to death. He wrote about being beaten with rods. He wrote about being stoned. He wrote about shipwrecks and dangers and exhaustion and hunger and thirst. 
He wrote about being cold and naked. And it was all for the sake of the gospel. And because it was for the sake of the gospel, Paul still had joy in it all. He still had joy. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What Paul is saying here is this. When the church is persecuted, when the church suffers, Jesus continues to suffer. He feels it. He's affected. On the night before his crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples this was going to happen. In the Gospel of John, verses 18 and 19, of chapter 15, John 15, verses 18 and 19, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would have loved its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Paul endured suffering for the sake of the church and the sake of the gospel because he wanted as many people as possible to hear the gospel message and be saved. Verse 25, of which I became a minister, he says. It's the second time he uses that phrase. Verse 22, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And then here, of which I became a minister. Uh, this is important to Paul. He's proud to serve the Lord. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me. John MacArthur says a steward was a slave who managed his master's household. So Paul considered his own ministry to be a stewardship from the Lord. Paul was stewarding God's household, the church, through preaching and teaching and caring for and leading and serving. Paul was a steward. That stewardship which was given to me for you, that is for the Gentiles, to fulfill the word of God. This is what Paul was devoted to. Fulfilling the ministry to which God had called him. And then we come to verses 26 and 27. And the mystery revealed, which is Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, taking up residence in the believer. And verse 28 says this. Him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Him we preach. Christ we preach. That was true of Paul. And it's true of Grace Community Church. It is Jesus Christ whom we preach. I'm reading a really good book uh, right now. Uh, it was given to me by a pastor friend back home. Uh, it's by John Piper. It's called Expository Exaltation. Christian Preaching as Worship. Christian Preaching as Worship. The premise of the book is uh, that worship doesn't just happen. When we sing, when we gather as the body of Christ, whenever that is, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, throughout the week in smaller life groups and community groups, 
whenever we gather. Worship doesn't just happen when we sing. (coughs) Pardon me. Worship doesn't just happen when we pray. Worship should be happening when we preach. We should be worshiping as we preach. The pastor should be worshiping as he preaches. The congregation should be worshiping as they hear the word proclaimed. The entire service should be a worship service from beginning to end. I'm just going to read a a portion. Really small. Expository exaltation. Christian preaching as worship. This is what John Piper writes in his introduction. Page 16. Preachers should think of worship services not as exaltation in the glories of God accompanied by a sermon. They should think of musical and liturgical exaltation, songs, prayers, readings, confession, ordinances, and more, accompanied and assisted by expository exaltation, preaching as worship. Music is one way of raising and carrying the heart's exaltation. Preaching is another. Preaching is worship. And preaching serves worship. So a little baby's outburst on a Sunday morning, I'll take it as worship. Oh, for the day, Grace, that we worship the Lord even as the gospel is preached. John Piper actually refers to this verse here, Him We Preach. He talks about it in this book. It's really uh, good. As we preach the truth of Jesus from the scriptures, it should prompt worship. Him we preach. What does preaching include? Based on what Paul writes here, it includes warning. That word can be translated admonishing. has to do with (coughs) behaviors that are wrong, like sin, behaviors that call for a rebuke. Preaching includes warning. It also includes teaching, which has to do with uh, 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 imparting positive truth to people who will hear. It's the building up of the knowledge of the word. Why do we warn and why do we teach? So that we may present every man perfect or mature in Christ Jesus. That's the goal. Paul was interested not in their remaining spiritual babies. He wanted them to become mature believers and that's why he preached. It's not just to win people to Christ, although that is a goal. But it's also to see individual believers growing in faith, maturing in Christ, serving him. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Verse 29. This is why I labor, Paul writes. This is my goal. To present every man mature in Christ. Always striving, but always recognizing it's a work of the Spirit of God in and through me that makes it happen. Tony Evans says this, 
every pastor should strive with God's strength for the spiritual development of his entire congregation. That word striving in verse 29 is from a Greek word that looks like this. All right, striving. It looks like this in the Greek. Stacey, put up uh, how it's spelled in the English. It's pronounced agonizomai. Agonizomai. What English word does that look like? Agony or agonize. Yes. Agonize. Agony. Agonizomai. It refers to the effort it takes to compete in an athletic contest. I want to tell you something. I was convicted over this this week. I've really uh, uh, mulled this and meditated on it through the week, what this really means. Paul is striving. He's struggling. He's contending. He's agonizing as he labors for the Lord. (laughs) Here's a question that I had to ask myself through the week. Do I labor like that for the sake of the gospel? Do I labor for the Lord as hard as I labored on the basketball court back in college? Do we, Grace, do we labor for the Lord as hard as we labor on the pickleball court? Or on a golf course? Or on a soccer field? Or on a softball field? Agonizomai. Are we agonizing, striving for the Lord in that way? A form of that word, agonizomai, is found in the next verse as well, chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. So do you see it? Do you see the word agonizomai in there? (laughs) Great conflict. It's related to that word Agonizomai. The Bible makes it clear there's a great conflict happening all around us. What we do here on Sunday morning is war. It is a spiritual war against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. And notice this. Paul was ready to go to battle for people he doesn't even know. I have a great conflict for you, Colossians. I have a great conflict for the Laodiceans. And I have a great conflict for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul was ready to go to battle for people he doesn't even know. And so should we be. Why? Chapter 2, verse 2. And I'll close it out reading verse 3 as well. That their hearts may be encouraged, (coughs) being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul desired for all people, those he knew and those he didn't know, to be encouraged in heart. And to be united in love through their full assurance of understanding. A clearer understanding of God the Father and God the Son leads to a deeper knowledge. 
Knowledge here is the apprehension of spiritual truth. The apprehension of spiritual truth. Wisdom, then, is the living that knowledge out. It's the practical application of knowledge. Knowledge is the apprehension of spiritual truth. Wisdom is putting that knowledge into action. So let me summarize the message. I'm going to summarize it this way. Started the message with this. Jesus Christ is our hope of glory. Why? Why is Jesus our hope? Let me give you some reasons. Number one, based on what we've read here in the passage, all of these are found in this passage. Number one, because he has reconciled us to God through his death. Praise the Lord. Number two, because he will present us to the Lord holy, blameless, and without reproach. Praise the Lord. Three, because he sustains us in our sufferings. Praise the Lord. Number four, because he enables us to fulfill our calling according to the word of God. Praise the Lord. Number five, because he lives in us. Praise the Lord. Number six, because his spirit is at work in us through the ministry of preaching to bring us to full maturity. Praise the Lord. Number seven, because he encourages our hearts and unites us in love as a family of believers. Praise the Lord. Number eight, because in him is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Praise the Lord. Grace, there are two ways to hear this message. The first is as one who was alienated. One who was separated from God, but one who now is reconciled to God through Jesus, who is our hope of glory. But the second is as one who is alienated, who is separated from God, and who needs to be reconciled. If that first one is you, then praise the Lord and rejoice. But if that second one is you, we need to talk. Please, if you are separated from the Lord, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, I want to talk to you. Please, contact the church office. See me after the service. Let's set a time to meet. Let me tell you about Jesus, the hope of glory. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, there is nothing more important. There is nothing more important than that. So I beg you, please, as you have your way in the hearts and lives of everyone here, I pray especially for those who do not know you as their personal Savior. Those who are separated from you. God, draw them to yourself, please. Give me the privilege of meeting with them for just a little while. And sharing the hope of Christ with them. 
bless your people. God, thank you again for the morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence here. Bless the remainder of our time together. And then as we go, may we be missionaries on service. In Jesus' name, amen.